Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back here, Sports Radio, WEEI. I'm Christian Arkans. Here till 4 o'clock, and then it's Danny Picard. But right now, joining me here on these airwaves from the Boston Heralds, Celtics Insider is about to head into the garden any minute now. Steve Bullpett joins me here on the program. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm living the dream. How are you? <laughs> living the dream myself, sir. Uh, nice to have you on. It was great talking with you last weekend so much, I just decided I had to do it again. <laughs> Dude, you got to get a life. I know. I really do. It's uh, it's pretty sad. Anyway, Steve, we got uh, game four tonight here tipping off. It's 6 o'clock. Celtics trying to, to keep the momentum going from game three. What was the number one thing, if you had to list them and, and put one thing at the top, the number one thing this team did in, in game three that they failed to do in games one and two? Make shots. Um, still kind of, it's, it's one of the technicalities of NBA basketball. I don't mean to get too, <laughs> you know, insider-ish here, but right. if you want to move your side of the scoreboard, the ball has to go through the rim and through the net thing there. You know, again, I don't mean to talk over people's heads, but it's really, <laughs> you know, kind of the basis of this thing. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, and considering the, the type of night that Isaiah Thomas had, and uh, his ability to, uh, to to get his shot going much more so than in, in the first two games had a tremendous amount to do with that, I would say. It opened up the entire offense. Well, yeah, and I think, I think other people opened it up for him as well. Mm. When you know, other guys are, are hitting shots or are threats out there, which you know, Jonas Derebko doesn't necessarily have to make shots to, to help out Isaiah Thomas because when he's on the floor and if he you know, steps out, uh, the large people have to go out with him, the large hawk guys. So uh, you know that changes things. I, you know, seriously, the the uh, the lineup switch, putting in uh, Jarebko in place of Selinger, uh not only having Jarebko there to space the floor, but to be able to run and get back on defense, uh, that changed things immensely. Uh, I think with it, with uh, you know just the the course of things. But it still came down to making shots. Yeah, I would agree with that. Also, can't help but notice that this is something that a lot of people talked about with this team going into the postseason is they're such a deep team. You know, they have so many guys who can come off the bench and contribute. But in game three, we saw five players play 30 minutes and more. And the other three, uh, I think Rozier led the way with 17. You know, that was that was pretty much it. It was a nine-man rotation, but really it was a six-man rotation. And I think that's something that... I don't know. It seemed like Brad Stevens was a little hesitant to to start doing here in this series. Well, yeah. At this stage here, you've got to stick with what's working and who's working. There, you know, there aren't any many more four games and five nights situations. Not even any back to back. So, um, you know, if you get something that's working, you ride it. You can sleep later that night and you can rest the next day. Um, you know, I I don't think he'll hesitate tonight to to stick with something that's working and. Uh, you know, uh, play the play the guys he needs to in this situation. Steve Bullpett joining me here. Uh, Steve, should Isaiah Thomas have been suspended for this game, in your opinion? 
if you look at the letter of the law and how it has changed even in the last few years, yeah, it's not really a question. The, the, The league has rewritten the rule to try to take judgment out of it. Um, you know, saying that uh, when you swing your hand, whether it's open or closed, they don't even delineate between whether it's a, you know, a fist or just an open hand. Um, I, I, you know, it's pretty clear that, that by the letter, absolutely he gets suspended. And I think, you know, you also heard uh, Stu Jackson, the guy that had that job before, uh, state, state the same thing. Um, do I think it was an act that, that deserved a suspension? No. But again, the league has, uh, with its rules, tried to take judgment out of it. They don't care about intent anymore. It doesn't matter if you tried to hit him or not. If you if you swing your arm and you hit a guy in the head, you're supposed to be gone for a game. And, you know, I think the league clearly looked at it and said, okay, it's not a huge, wasn't a huge uh, vicious attack. Right. And I think they also took into account the, you know, what it would do to the Celtics. You know, if, if you take Isaiah Thomas out of Game Four, you're essentially telling the Celtics, okay, you're probably going to lose Game Four, and you mm-hmm. might, you know, and, and does that even make a the flight to uh, Atlanta for a Game Five worthwhile if you're down three-one? But isn't it sort of wrong to judge it that way? I mean, you can't just for certain players. I mean, if if a certain player does something that is that bad, I mean, you know, isn't that isn't that a slippery slope there, Steve? Sure, absolutely. I think that's going to be the dangerous part. The the next player who gets suspended for something similar is going to say, hey, wait a minute, what about the way you ruled in the Isaiah Thomas situation? Sure. Or Kevin Durant last night, too. Yeah, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I do think it's, it's, again, the rule is written to take judgment out of it, but clearly judgment applies here. Judgment is being used. When did this series become so physical? I mean, I was watching in games one and two and, and noticing that it seemed like, you know, Isaiah was hitting the deck a lot, and I just sort of chalked that up to playoff basketball. But game three, that was a real, that was a real hockey game. I mean, when, when did it sort of switch over in your mind? I couldn't really point out the, the one point when it happened. Well, Isaiah always hits the deck a lot. When he right. goes to the basket, he, you know, he tends to throw himself into the situation, uh, and he draws fouls that way, and, it, you know, it works. Um, I think this series turned physical because there was such a close proximity in the game. You know, it was, it was uh, you know, the, the Hawks came in with a 2-0 lead, and all of a sudden here they are in front of a raucous crowd against a team that is clearly playing much harder than it did in game two. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, what, you know, why are you in my face now? It's like, well, that's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, um, and... Certainly not being helped at all. I'd even say this sort of thing was getting exacerbated by some of the antics, I guess, of uh, of Marcus Smart, particularly that that suplex of himself that he did off of the hip of Kyle Korver there, which uh, ended up being a five-on-four back the other way. I heard Smart after the game says he's just doing whatever he can to help his team out there, but is that sort of thing helping his team? Well, I'm not sure if it's helping his team, but it clearly is uh... – He's got Marcus in line for a job with Cirque du Soleil when his uh, <laughs> basketball's done. Hey, look, Marcus is the kind of guy that um, he will take hits. He will look to take hits to draw fouls. He's not trying to, you know, that was kind of a, a cheap flop. Usually he is. He will run into the, the oncoming train uh, in an attempt to uh, 
to, to pick up the file. He doesn't, that doesn't bother him at all. The problem is when you sell it a bit too much, um, then you start the, – the, the danger here for Marcus going forward is that he develops this kind of reputation yes. among officials – and the calls will start drying up. And even when he gets, when he legitimately has position uh, and gets charged into, he might not get that benefit. I'm worried about that with him and with Isaiah to a lesser extent, Steve, because, I mean, you see two guys here. One caught a break after swinging his hand and smacking a guy in the side of the head. The other one's getting fined $5,000 for, for flopping, and I sort of feel like, you know, this is, these aren't two teams with two superstars. The calls have been pretty even so far. You don't have real big favoritism going one way or the other until right now because now these refs are just, you know, wired in a way to think, up. Oh, well, you know, there they go again. Here go those Celtics flopping around. Well, I just hope for your sake Tommy Heinsohn's not listening to you say <laughs> the calls have been even. I mean, uh, you can Do you think they haven't been? No, I, I, I look, the, the, the calls in games will favor the team that's playing more aggressively. It's the way it always has been. It's the way it always will be. Um, and that's just, it's, it's clear. The team that's playing more aggressively is, uh, is moving forward. The team that's not playing as aggressively is on its heels, is reaching. And that's why the team that's more aggressive gets the benefit of the calls. Um, and you have to accept that. Which so if the Celtics didn't get calls in Game Two, and I'm not sure they didn't necessarily, but it would be because they were the le- the, the less aggressive team. Um, you know, uh, that's really what it comes down to, and it's not going to change. That's why I mean, it, I think it's kind of a side uh, to what Red Arback always said. He wanted instigators, not retaliators, mm. um, and that's the way the Celtics have to play um, to not only just get themselves, you know, in the right frame of mind, but to make their defense work properly. They have to be the team that is playing aggressively, that isn't hesitating, is stepping confidently into the passing lanes and, 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 uh, and getting the turnovers and, uh, and turning those into transition points, easy buckets. Um, that's where that to me is the most intimidating thing at basket in basketball is when you can uh, turn another team over and get an easy bucket and then make them come back down the floor and have to work for 20 plus seconds to get off a shot. That's intimidation. When you're getting buckets easily, that demoralizes an opponent. Steve Bullpett joining me here on sports radio, W E E I Steve, I'm looking at this Hawks team. And, and some of the players on this team that you really expected to have a bigger impact so far, Paul Millsap in particular. And I sort of wonder, are, are some of these guys on the Hawks maybe due for a big game at this point? Is that, is that something that we should be worried about tonight? Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, uh, proper defense can, can hold that down to a dull roar. So, again, if the Celtics come out and play aggressively on both ends of the floor – but defensively, that kind of thing can, can get in the way. And, look, the Hawks did really well in the first two games because they were starting their offense off Celtic missed shots, which means they were getting down the court and, and getting into their offense before the Celtics could be properly set. Uh, and even when the Celtics were properly set, they were missing rotations and leaving three-point shooters open. But if you're making some buckets – 
then the Hawks are taking the ball out of the net to start their offense, and you're getting back properly. I think that, you know, that's the, you know, everything is related. You know, your how well you defend is based on how well you're playing offensively because, again, you're slowing the, the team's transition. Uh, and how well you play offensively is dictated to a large part by your defense because you want to be taking the ball off the rim and firing it down, and uh, you want to be getting turnovers that uh, you can turn into transition points. Have you heard any updates on uh, Kelly Olynyk? And if you have, uh, how much how much playing time could he possibly get tonight? Do you think? No, we won't know about that till we get to the to okay. the arena. Uh, but uh, you know, um, there's clearly something going on here, um, and. Uh, it's got to be something involved with range of motion or else you'd have to think he'd be out there. Mm. With his sort of, you just talked a lot about, you know, the importance of defense and getting set with his sort of defensive limitations. Is, is he someone that you think would be more in the, in the regular rotation or maybe more in the uh, Terry Rozier, Jared Sullinger, seven to 11 minutes rotation here? I don't think his defense is that bad anyway. But, no, okay. but if you look at, at what the Celtics need to play against Atlanta, Atlanta defensively loves to crowd the lane. Okay, well, like when, you get, when you go to the bucket and you saw it in the first you know, couple of games especially, uh, because the Celtics weren't hitting from the outside, Isaiah Thomas would go to the basket, uh, pick his head up, and look at a team photo of the Atlanta Hawks. Hmm. Um, you, what you need is big people who can step outside and force the Atlanta defense, particularly guys like Al Horford and Paul Millsap, to, uh, to follow them out, to, to honor their, the, the possibility that they may hit an outside shot. If Kelly Olynyk is playing the way he has this year, I think he's taken a major step forward this year mm-hmm. in his development. But if he's playing the way that he's played for you most of this season – and I think this is a different series because, again, you have to get out. Uh, if you're Atlanta, you have to get out on him, and that gives other guys more room to operate. I mean, Kevin McHale is one of the best low-post scorers in, in the history of the NBA, but clearly he was assisted in that by he, – he would get an extra half foot of room to move at least because if he was on the same side of the floor as Larry Bird – the guy guarding Larry Bird would have to be that much closer to Larry to make sure that he didn't get off his outside shot. So, you know, again, everything kind of relates. You know, nothing exists in basketball in a vacuum. All right, Steve, we'll leave it right there. You're the best, man. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, and have a good trip into, uh, into Boston today. He'll be covering that game. Uh, heading in right now for a 6 o'clock tip-off with the Celtics and the Hawks in Game 4. All right, quick break here, 617-779-7937. But before we go to break here, got some very sad news that was just brought up here by a texter, and I've just now confirmed it on the BC Interruption blog on SB Nation. Uh, Former Boston College defensive tackle and New England Patriot Ron Brace passed away at the age of 29. Uh, that uh, That is very, very sad news. Um, don't know exactly what, uh, happened here. Don't know much, uh, other than the fact that it has been posted and I guess now confirmed by a couple of outlets here. Ron Brace, 29 years old. I thought, I thought he was older, I guess, but now, uh, passed away today. Um, we'll have more details on that as they, as they start to come in. Uh, 617-779-7937, your phone number, 37937. That's your number on the text line. You can tweet me at Christian Arcan. Quick break. We'll be right back after this here on Sports Radio WEEI. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.